Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you today for 24, season 6, episode 7. Ben! 12 to 1 pm a week. Ben! Uh, days after we had a great actor from this series on the show, we have to talk about this episode. Ben! Exactly, <laughs> Ben. Uh, episode 7, 12 pm. 2-1pm, it first aired on the 5th of February 2007. It was written by Howard Gordon, come on, and Manny Cotto, directed by John Kassar. <laughs> Guys, why? Uh, February 5th, a lot of lot better things happened on February 5th, by the way. United Artists was formed by Charlie Chaplin, oh. Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks and D.W. Griffith. That's always a, a good thing. Uh, a major tornado killed 57 people in the southern United States in 2008. Probably not a good thing. And astronauts landed on the moon on nineteen in April nineteen seventy four or in nineteen seventy one, Apollo fourteen. Get it out, Ben. Uh, <laughs> and it's also Cristiano Ronaldo's birthday on February fifth. So there you go. Other things to celebrate. Uh, my name is Ben, and why don't you make your own coffee? Oh, I knew you'd do that. Um. My name is Colin, and I just want to get my son, and I want to get out of here. There's really no quotes from this line, uh, this episode. Uh, can I just let, play? Me, let me try again. My name is Colin, and no. Uh, let me try again. My name is Ben, and... <laughs> Excuse me. I had some gas after this. This episode's bad. Um, I mean... It's just it's just this family drama, and it's they, they go for these cheap... Plot twists of like, oh, that's meant to shock you. And in all fairness, I will say, I remember watching this live. I was shocked that mm-hmm. it did its job the first time you watch it. And that, I guess, is the purpose of a television show, particularly in 2007, that you 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 need to shock it. One-time one time audience. You're not thinking about the rewatchability of these shows, right? It's network TV. It's week to week. You've got to draw your viewers in each week. Who cares if they buy the DVD or not? But this is an episode that 16 years later at the time of recording this does not hold up because particularly knowing everything that happens, we get terrible drama. I'm honestly going to say some pretty bad acting and among some of our pretty esteemed cast members as well. Um, yeah, I just I just don't know. I don't know where to go with this because literally the majority of this episode is Jack Bauer days of our lives. And mm-hmm. again, like... On paper, this should work. On paper, I want to know Jack Bauer's family and storyline, but just not this direction. I'm just, I'm just here for Powers Booth. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said, uh, which might be a first. Um, this does have uh, a, a big drop off on the rewatchability. Now, I've said I've never rewatched season six. Is the only, I think the only six and eight are the only ones 
of like the original run of 24 where I didn't rewatch any of it. Um, and a couple weeks ago, I was saying, okay, there's going to be the moment where we kind of find out about Phillip's turn that might be a top five moment. This season, it might still be a contender, but I was... Well, this episode... I'm not going to say... Well, the end the Get end of the of episode. <laughs> no, no. But, but when you watch this the second time around and you can start to pick it apart, you're like, oh, they, like, they kind of got, like, sort of got it, but they definitely missed the boat on this and this and this. It did have that great first-time shock to it, but so many things just don't pay off with this. And when you have to actually sit down and think about the, the biggest issue being, like you've been saying, this is so rushed. This could have been dragged out a couple of weeks. I don't even think you necessarily needed to introduce Philip Bauer at this part of the season. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get to it a little bit more when we get to the end of the episode, but even the execution of it, there's something just kind of flat about it. So you get that, that, that knee jerk reaction of like, wow, didn't see that coming. And then if you really have to stop thinking about it, you're like, wow, but that doesn't really make sense. And is this the best way that they could have done it? Biggest takeaway from this episode is nothing here is necessarily all that bad. It was just the execution was very off with everything. I mean, I agree to the point that the execution is bad, but I also disagree. I think it is bad. I, I think like, and this is no disrespect to Academy Award nominee James Cromwell, starred in a great Australian movie where he got nominated for an Oscar for. I love me some James Cromwell, but like, does he not just seem bored half the time in this? I'm like, this is where mm-hmm. I feel like, imagine Donald Sutherland at the end. It's like, help, my yeah. son has had a seizure. Uh, like, I mean, like that to me is where you need an over-the-top actor like a Donald Sutherland to do this. And I think that's half the issue I have with Philip Bauer is that, again, no disrespect to James Cromwell. A, brush your hair. And B, <laughs> he just looks bored and he just is delivering this in such a way which, and this is just the way he portrays his character. It just seems boring. Like, imagine three seasons ago picturing Jack Bauer's father. I don't picture an old man who doesn't know how to brush his hair who basically is just bored half the time. I don't picture Jack Bauer's brother as, again, no disrespect to Paul McCrane. I love Paul McCrane. But as geeky, bald guy who goes, family, and whose wife basically doesn't blink an eyelid when he dies. Like, I mean, it's just... I don't know. It's just it's just something about it that just doesn't work it, so much. And again, I'm with you. The shock value was there, but like I would argue that as much as there, it's not some of the other shocks we've had. It's not three mm-hmm. episodes ago the bomb went off shock. Like it's it's some of those shocks where you you are shocked, but you kind of move on from it pretty quickly. Yeah, and I, I think another thing that's frustrating is that we didn't have that great shock moment of this guy from season five is Jack Bauer's brother. It yeah. was sort of just, oh, here we go. He's he's his brother. It's, it's just as if you're always supposed to know that. And then there is the inconsistency with his character. So the payoff doesn't feel like it's doing Graham, the character from season five justice. And you haven't had enough time to warm to Philip Bauer, even get to know him mm-hmm. to understand his motivation. 100%. I feel like everything with this could have worked if maybe we'd had a couple more episodes to get to know Philip Bauer, the loving father. We get like a brief moment and that's kind of it. And if you had allowed James Cromwell, I almost feel like this episode, I would love to have listened to the commentary, but I had a lack of motivation after watching the episode <laughs> to go back and listen to the commentary. But I would almost venture a guess that this might've been something where they intended to do the, the Philip reveal later on. Cause obviously, you know, there's going to be a, the, the point later on where Jack's going to have the reveal. And that was probably the, the, the best time to actually do the Philip reveal for the audience and for Jack. And then maybe at the last minute they said, Oh, we kind of need a shocker here and spur the moment. They're like threw it in there and, James Cromwell had no time to prepare for this. 
he didn't have the opportunity to build a character that would make any sense. And I almost feel bad for him because I don't feel like any of this is his fault. I've been saying yeah, exactly. it's maybe the the wrong casting. I don't, I don't even think that's the case. I think that James Cromwell has it in him. He could have pulled this off if everything was on the page where he could have actually prepared for this. It's actually interesting reading in the book when he said, when James Cromwell obviously said that him and Donald Sutherland kind of go for the roles together often. And he obviously went for the, it's kind of ironic in a way that he went for designated survivor, Donald Sutherland got it. And then he got this. And I know we obviously touched on that a little bit with John Kazar when we had him on for the reunion. And we keep saying we'd love to get him back on to talk a little bit more about it. But I would love to know how many eggs in one basket they put to get Donald Sutherland. Was was that kind yeah. of all in? And then it got to a point where they couldn't get him. So then they go, okay, shit, who do we get? And mm-hmm. I get you kind of do need to get a, a big name to be Jack Bauer's father. I get that. I yeah. completely understand that. But, I mean... Like he's a he's a you're not going to do it because obviously he was in season one. But like I mean, imagine let's 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 flip the tables around and say you have James Cromwell as Victor Drazen. Imagine Dennis Hopper as Kim mm-hmm. Sutherland, as Jack Bauer. That's a good casting. Like I mean, you can kind of yeah. see that menacing. I'm trying to think of sort of these older sort of actors. And again, I'm not trying to take away what? from James Cromwell, but like I've seen James Cromwell in Babe. I've seen him, and he was a great villain in American Horror Story. Rightfully so, won the uh, the Emmy or the Golden Globe, whatever he won for that. He was really good in American Horror Story. I remember that. But outside of Babe and American Horror Story, I've seen him play George H. Bush, uh, you know, George Bush's father in the movie W, which again, it's like, really, is he the closest you can get to resemble uh, the first President Bush? Then he played, what, Prince Philip in uh, the, the Queen, which maybe more resembles Prince Philip than George Bush Sr., uh, and I think that's it. Uh, you know, he's played like real people. And then Farmer Hoggett, who everyone loves Farmer Hoggett. So I, I just, I haven't really seen him in much other things, unfortunately. But I just, there's, just, and like, I'm just looking at this now. Brush his hair. He's got the old man pants, like up to his, like, you know, uh, nipples, basically, with his checkered shirt. Like, Jack Bauer's father, we've just found out, oh, no, he's evil. He's killed his son. Oh, no. Um, like, it's just, it, uh, yeah. The, the- there's another one that uh, came to mind where uh, this is the type of villain that James Cromwell does well. I mean, I've already mentioned L.A. Confidential as one. Uh, Space Cowboys. I have seen one, that many, one. many years ago, though. Can, can yeah, and, and it, it's it's similar to what I'm saying about this. Is like if we had cast Dennis Hopper, or we cast uh, we if we had if we were calling the shots, if if Dennis Hopper or uh, Donald Sutherland had been cast, the audience is immediately thinking they're going to be the bad guy. Mm. Casting James Cromwell. Kind of convinces the audience he might be good, which I get where they're going for that. But then give that a chance to build. Don't just throw it out in the second yeah. episode, especially since the most frustrating thing about this episode is it just turns the clock back to the beginning of the last episode. We end this episode exactly where we started the last one in. And if you'd done something like Space Cowboys, where it's like he's just a shady character and you slowly start to see, you know, this darker side to him, that works. It's just, yeah, a, a lot of things have gone wrong. We're kind of getting into now why this family storyline doesn't work. And a lot of it, I think, just comes down to, I think they were scraping the bottom of the barrel, and I think that they didn't go in with a, a full plan when they decided they wanted to to dedicate the season around it. 100% correct, and you're, you're right. And we we literally met this guy not even a full episode ago. We met him in the last 10 minutes of the last episode, and, yeah, it's, it's just rushed. And I think this is, the again, a lot of the frustrating part and what leads me into next season, why I get so angry about next season, it's this this overwhelming narrative of the shady organization that controls the government that we touched on mm. last year. And they just do it to Cause like this whole set. And there's a, one particular moment in this episode that just makes me fucking mad because they just can't make their mind up of who fucking killed Palmer. Um, so mm. like you've got that element to it. And then this still extends into next season. 
Like what we're getting with Tony next season is, oh, is he good? Is he bad? Oh, he's good again. No, he's bad again. Oh, no, he's good. Oh, no, he's bad again. And then like kind of you get a bit of that with Philip Bauer. This It's just like we get it. Like yeah. it's anyway. But basically I think we'll, we'll save all that to the end because there's really not else much to cover in this episode. And I think we're going to be so negative on this sort of stuff that's going to go over so much of this quickly. Just a quick note. Listen to our Donnie Maropas interview. Great interview aired oh. last week. Did you listen to it? I did listen to it. Yeah, great interview. And I mean, I think that he, uh, he he's an example of what we're saying where where they kind of threw this casting at the last minute. They got Paul McCrane not knowing who he was going to play. They got James Cromwell maybe last minute and didn't have a chance to plan a character. At Donny Maropas, there's a guy who basically said, they spent two years trying to get me on the show and mm. waiting for it to be just right and fighting. This is our guy. This is our guy. And he pays off. I still think on a rewatch, this season plays better. Even if it is kind of Marwan over again, this season plays better with him as the lead villain. I actually, uh, so obviously people who listen to the Oz Network know that once we generally do a full TV recap, uh, I put out an article, sort of all the rankings that we do at the end of it. I write a little write-up on all the things. So I've, I've actually finished that article. It's ready to publish in like two years when we finish this. So I, I wrote that like a year ago at the time recording this. And I, I, I generally read what I wrote uh, into each of these ones to refresh my memory of what I thought a year ago, and it's generally pretty the same what I think now. And the write-ups for these, like this one and next week's episode literally are like, oh, these are terrible. But um, I love Fayed. He's a great villain. He's the only shining yeah. light. So even a year ago, well before that we even had Adoni on the show, I'm saying exactly what we're saying still to this day. And if and you have, let's say the same for uh, Assad as well. I think oh, that yeah. Assad's a much more interesting character. And they're they're not giving him a lot to do at this point in the the season. But those two guys, like, play that out for a whole season. Which guy is the good one? Which one's the bad one? Well, he's on a supersonic jet. He gets from LA to Washington in like two hours. He'll be there <laughs> next week. Remember? But um, yeah, I, teleported. If, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen. And particularly like this part of the season two, where he talks about the fact that he was basically nearly dead. He died nearly yeah. twice in this season, and this was a part of the season which he touched on last week that. He was like basically on a on a walking stick. He was very not well, uh, and that he had to kind of you know do these scenes, which is going to be a particular note next week when he's torturing people with drills. So um, <laughs> you know, but anyway, uh, so basically around uh, the days of our Bowers, uh, we've got a bit of drama in the White House. Essentially, uh, we get a new. I love this news report. I'm on the safe zone here in uh, Valencia. You still just see this mushroom cloud now. Why are these houses still perfectly standing? Why is there not debris, dust? Like, I'm sorry, this is a <laughs> nuclear bomb. This isn't just like, you know, that's C4 from like rush hour. This is a couple <laughs> of bits of like, you know, scattered debris here and there. So like this guy is just like, oh, 12,000 people are estimated to be dead. But then I love how he goes, but there is some good news. And then it cuts straight to the print. Yes. Like, What's the good news? <laughs> I, I, I did watch it three times to get it because he goes, 12,000 are dead and the LAPD is spread then. On an encouraging note, we've heard they're receiving a flood of, and then it cuts out. Like, flood of what? Yes. What's encouraging after a nuclear bomb? I want to hear this. Flood of zombies? Like, I mean, uh, <laughs> the flood of zombies, if you've ever wanted to survive a zombie apocalypse. Um, so we've got Peter McNichol coming in here, and he's all like, hey, so um, Karen's gone. What a shame. Here's that policy that we wanted to get signed off, remember? And then again, they kind of have a nice little back and forth and essentially uh, Palmer's like, all right, we'll convene the cabinet. Uh, and I, I, lo I love Peter McNichol in this episode. He's just like a little schoolboy because he's, I mean, I guess next week we get the real tantrum, but he's kind of like, yes. And he's like going on like, Reed, we're on, call the cabinet, which I don't, I mean, I like to think I know something about American politics and I was going to Google this beforehand, but is the vice president in cabinet? Like, I thought uh, the vice president was more of a figurehead's uh, position. 
uh, like it's, it's like a president holding. Um, yeah, like they kind I, of. I don't. I didn't know if they are in cabinet. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, maybe they are. They oh, are. They are. Okay. Yeah. All right. Apologies. There you go. That shows my limited knowledge. I just. I just thought they were literally a figurehead. Uh, position that oh. didn't really have much power, but they are in cabinet, so I apologize. Although I, I do love, if you actually look it up, it says the cabinet exists of 25 members, 26 if you include the vice president. So I think even the cabinet, they're like, oh, I guess you kind of have to be that, here. That's why I question it, because like from what I know, and again, any Americans listening to this, Adani, if you're listening, please correct me. I know you're listening to the show. We appreciate it. But yeah. it's sort of, I always just thought that the vice president didn't really have much power. Like they are literally a figurehead position that is there waiting for the president to die. <laughs> so that's basically what I thought it was. But good for Powers Booth. He gets a seat at the table, literally. Um, so they're all getting excited, ready for it. Um, meanwhile, we get a bit of Karen here, who's a bit of a dick to Bill. Bill's like, Karen, what are you doing? Like, why are you quitting? I have to. Oh, you can't leave the president. Do you think I don't want to? Bye. See you in LA in like two hours. Like, uh, like it's sad. Poor old Bill's trying to call his beloved wife back and she's just being a dick and she gets a bit of a sad moment. Don't worry, we'll see her in a couple hours on the supersonic jet back to LA. Um, meanwhile, Palmer then calls up Sandra. There's a really cheesy moment. Like, there's a couple of cheesy moments in this episode. But again, Regina King gets a, a moment here standing behind, beside what's-his-face in the bed. And what did she say? Like, it's okay, babe. Like, uh, I'll be here or something like that. It's just... I'm like, come on, Regina King. You're an Academy Award winner at the time of recording this. You're so better than this. Um, And then I love Wayne calling up, Sandra, I heard about Waleed. It's so horrible. And she's all like, damn you to hell, Brother Palmer. (laughs) You're a racist. You can't help but do this. Like, like, I get the moral implications. I get it why we're having this argument. This is going to lead to Palmer basically being all like, no, America. But, like, again, on the grand scheme of things, it like, I'm not condoning getting everybody of one race and putting him in a prison camp just because one person of one race blew up a nuclear bomb. But at a time of this, when a nuclear bomb has gone off on U.S. soil, you need to take, like, again, last season, there was martial law. There were lockdowns. Even Wayne, uh, David Palmer, when a bomb went off in the Mojave Desert and didn't kill 12,000 people, it killed a couple of random campers. And George Mason, you put in, like, freaking military control and martial law. You're a shit president, Wayne Palmer, because you're sitting around talking to your sister going, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, let's just keep things how they are. I- I'm on board with Peter McNichol this episode. It's like, what if another nuclear bomb goes off? Palmer's a shit president because two nuclear bombs have gone off under their watch, all right? Just saying yeah. it right now. Uh, so there's one speech from Regina King, future Academy Award winner to D.B. Woodside. Why does Palmer not call off the cabinet meeting? Why does he still have, like, freaking Powers Booth oh. is in the air. And he's like, oh, yeah, Peter McNichol, we're, we're on here. Uh, and, like, and, like, even then he's like, I didn't agree with this president, but this is the best thing he's ever done. Like, I again, I know that usually vice presidents are often running, like, uh, rivals in the lead up to an election and you often get them on board and, a lot of the time, vice presidents are there because they're biding their time to become the president. You know, they're going to run mm-hmm. once the president basically either doesn't get elected next time around or has their two terms. But, like, are they always have to be so against each other? We had this with Alan Dale back in <laughs> season two. Uh, I mean, I guess Gregory Itzen wasn't super opposed to uh, Keeler, but, I mean, we didn't really see their relationship. <laughs> 
he didn't really have much of an opinion on anything. Yeah, <laughs> just I mean, keep me out of trouble. And whichever Dado it is, who's the vice president to Taylor in a couple of seasons, like he's just kind of there. He's just kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm a Dado. I'm second Australian US president. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> I'm part of the cabinet? Yeah. When did this happen? <laughs> I'm Australian. I shouldn't be allowed to be president. I wasn't born in there. Alan Dale did. Okay. Well, uh, further further Australians in the, in the president's role. But I, but I mean, like, who doesn't love Powers Booth? I mean, rest in peace, yeah. Powers Booth. But this guy should be Jack Bowers' dad. Like, I mean, mm. come on, James Cromwell, make him freaking <laughs> Noah. Noah, by the way, there's a Noah <laughs> character. But I mean, like, got to be the racist one. <laughs> to, to me, Powers Booth. I just, I just, the best thing about this episode is the introduction to Powers Booth. And I'll have my issues with the character of Noah Taylor in this season. Don't get me wrong. But uh, Noah Taylor, Noah, whatever his name is, um, Gardner. Noah Gardner. Thank you. But like. To me, one of one of my favorite random guilty pleasure movies I watched a lot as a kid, and we've talked about this before, is Sudden Death. And mm. he plays the terrorist who kidnaps the vice president at Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Honestly, that was a part of me loving ice hockey. I already loved it, but I used to watch this movie all the time as a kid. Shouldn't really be watching Sudden Death as an eight-year-old, but hey, whatever. If I want to see uh, the, the P- Pittsburgh Penguin mascot get choked uh, to death... Uh, and get stabbed in the neck with a chicken bone, then uh, watch Sudden Death. Um, but, like, I just like, he's so good in that movie. He's so good. And, like, he's just a maniacal villain. And I've seen him in other things too. But I remember when I first watched this, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's a Sudden Death villain. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the only one on the planet who that's where I recognize Powers Booth from. But anyway, um, so they're convening the cabinet. Makes no sense that basically uh, Wayne Palmer's like, Thanks, everyone. I know you're all very busy. You're all high-ranking officials in the U.S. government on a day when a nuclear bomb has gone off. And I all believe you're here to hear me talk about signing off this policy to detain all the Muslims into one camp because clearly we need to take executive action because our country is under threat with four other nuclear bombs out there. They could go off any second. Literally in the next hour, one man will stop one with basically a small tool. But, however... I've decided not to go with this policy because I had a good conversation with my sister. I bid you a good day. Good morning. (laughs) Uh, What a waste of time. Um, What is the point of that? Um, And I guess the only other thing, I might just lump in the CTU stuff here because what else is there really to talk about? It's uh, Morris gets the lie that his brother is, uh, his little brother is getting radiation. And again, I remember watching this the first time going like, oh my God, is this Edgar all over again? (laughs) Like, come on. And also, what's his face back in season three? Uh, like, um, uh, famous guy from Heroes. I've completely forgotten his name. He was Adam in season three. Oh, yeah, three. Zachary Quinto. Zachary yeah. Quinto, thank you. It's, it's just, let's recycle the CTU member's family uh, is in danger, peril. Uh, season two, Michelle and a freaking, like, God damn it. But I guess it's a bit of a twist this time around. So, okay, they went somewhere different. But uh, essentially... Uh, Morris is called out because he's about to get kidnapped by freaking old uh, non-Eddie Izzard here and the the non-sex worker going to Palm Springs. And I love this, like, the the, the CTU technology convenience once again. We've just intercepted a phone call between Fayed and non-Eddie Izzard. How convenient that that just happened when you couldn't do this three hours ago when a nuclear bomb was about to go off. Uh, oh, we've just happened to get an image of the person that they're signing. But we've got to sit here for the next, how long to the end of the episode? 42 minutes to be sure that it like reveals itself at the right time. It's just so bad and just so convenient for the plot. And again, I get it. I get this is what we got to do for moving the plot forward. It's tension. It's 24. I understand. 
Um, and then this all leads to the reveal of an image of Morris. Oh, my God, it's Morris. They're trying to kidnap Morris. By this point, Jack's, like, finished, uh, you know, torturing his brother. We'll get to that in a minute. So he's like, Morris, you can't believe them. What are you talking about? My brother's ill. No, he's not. It's a trap. It's a trap. And then all of a sudden, he gets kidnapped at the end by non-Eddie. He's like, oh, plot twist. It's Morris who's going to arm the nuclear bomb, which I know you discovered that last week. But fuck, I hate this yeah. plot line. Um, and I, I do love Miles, uh, Milo, though, who's basically just kind of, like, going, like, um, yeah, hi. Can we just, like, not tell him about his brother and get him on with his job? <laughs> I'm sorry to be a dick. I'm kind of with Milo here. Um, yeah. You have nuclear what? bombs that are about to go off. Why did that uh, second nuclear bomb go off? Oh, because our key analyst thought his brother was sick. Hmm. You're going and, up for war like, crimes. We just ran through the list of people who went through this exact same thing in past seasons, and none of them asked for leave. Exactly. None of them were Wait. even offered leave. Yeah, like, it, it, it kind of makes Morris just... In a way, I actually think it suits Morris's character because he's not going to play by the rules like... I don't care. My brother's dying. I'm out of here, you know? But, like, at the same time, like, the fact they let him go makes no sense because they didn't let Michelle go. You know, they didn't let uh, they didn't let Adam go. They didn't let Edgar go. Adoni, if you're listening to this right now, I want you to get back into the Fayed mindset right now. Get back into the character. And you tell me that if Fayed knew that all it took was to lie to government officials that their family is <laughs> sick to distract them, how many of these bombs could have gone off in, like, two hours? Like... Like, oh yeah! Seriously, right now, like if if, if uh, got to bring it up, here's the 9/11 bingo. If some survivor of a of a victim of 9/11 found out that an analyst on at like 8:30 a.m. on the September 11th found out that they knew a plane was about to hit the building, but oh no, my grandma's sick, I've got to go, and could have stopped it, I'm gonna be pissed off at that person. <laughs> like no, like come on. So Morris, how, how about how, how about like uh, so we got some bad news, Bill. Your uh, your sister was in a car accident and she was hit by a drunk driver. The drunk driver, Karen, was your mother. Uh, and Edgar, uh, sorry, not Edgar, Morris, your brother was run over in the wreckage. Like, just start adding on. Like, everybody in CTU's family is in this one accident and they're all out of there. And to keep up with the theme of this uh, episode and season, and it just so happens that the driver was your former ex-partner who you have a long-lost <laughs> yearning for. But this isn't about that here. I'm here to do my job, as we'll get to very shortly. Um, yeah, I covered all that. There's a knock on my door, so I'm going to pause this recording <laughs> and think about your thought for two seconds. And I'm back. Turns oh. out that I get a return from an eBay order that I returned that didn't get there, but I already got the money back. So who gives a shit? Anyway, um, okay. now that Ben Waterworth's private life has been updated because days of our Ben's. Uh, I- I thought Adoni was coming to, to join in the episode. He he ben, me. Ben, I heard you talking about me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the CTU stuff first, because really it is just the Morris thing. Um, I, I remember nothing about this Morris subplot, and I think the reason why is because it's done away with very quickly, like mm. so many things here in Season 6. Uh, just missed opportunity here. You have Morris saying, okay, I'll stick around to try to do this. He tries to, I don't know what you can call it, decode this picture or whatever of who it is. Can you just imagine if they had played this a little bit more ambiguous because the audience is basically told right away, oh, Morris knows nothing about this. Imagine if you wanted to make this stretch out for a little bit further, even just leave the audience in a bit more suspense at the end of this episode. Have it be, oh, sorry, this is the best I can get out of the picture. Can I go now? Yes. And then he leaves. And then you just see him, I don't know, like getting into a car or something like that. You don't actually see them kidnapping him right as they're like, wait a second, this picture is Morris. Then the audience is left in doubt for at least one week. And yeah, I, I, it kind of sounds hypocritical. Who's are complaining. They just do these cliffhangers for no reason whatsoever. 
But I just thought as I was watching, like that, that would have been a perfect opportunity. Make the audience and even the other characters think that Morris is in on it, even if he isn't. Right, uh, right, it just seems like a yeah. hugely wasted opportunity. Um, I mean, the, the, the presidential stuff, the Palmer drama, to me, this is the best stuff of the episode. Um, <laughs> aside from Karen, you know, and uh, her just walking out, because I'm thinking to myself, like, Wayne didn't really try that hard to make her stay, nor did he even really ask her why she was leaving. Yeah. And again, I have so many problems with Karen just getting up and walking out because it the idea is that you want the audience to look down on Lennox and you want them to look up to Karen, but it has the opposite effect because what we're going to see at the end of this episode, and in particular more so next week, is how determined Lennox is, even as the wrong idea, how much more Lennox is willing to go to bat for his ideas. Oh, God. But, but like we see that this guy believes in what he's saying, and I don't get the impression that Karen does. That's the biggest problem here. Um, but uh, the, the the conversation they have, like, okay, I, I completely agree with you. It is a complete waste of time to have Wayne be like, yes, um, so I could have just called you all 15 minutes ago and said, don't bother coming. Uh, let's cancel the meeting. But I decided to make a show of it. To me, that in a weird way, that is partly what sets up Lennox for the rest of the season because he takes this very personally, as he kind of should. Like, it is a bit of a slap in the face to reject this man's plan, basically say I'll go along with him, the last minute pull out with everybody in the room. I just think about if I'm pitching something to my bosses and they say, that's a great idea, Colin. And then as soon as we get in the meeting in front of a bunch of other people, they're like, so Colin, you have this idea? It kind of sucks. Moving on. Like, oh yeah, I would probably act like Lennox did. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the uh, the writer's intentions, but I think that it does play that way as the, the rest of the season unfolds when you see how Lennox maybe starts to go off the rails a little bit. Yes and no. You're just, you're just. I mean, eh. it's. I think there's maybe. I don't know if there's part of the Linux stuff that you're maybe not remembering, but um, yeah. And no, I get what you're saying, but I think also next week is just ridiculous with where this plot's going to go. Um, but but what we get yeah. out of next week though is like acting of the season from Peter McNichol. So yeah. I can't oh. be that mad at it because like yeah. this man delivers in ways that I don't think that they intended for him to deliver. And I, I don't disagree with you at all because I think that, uh, you know, it's the opposite of like a James Cromwell and kind of the stuff we're getting with the Bauer storyline. Cause even I think there's some keeper stuff in this episode, which does not, does not seek the landing. I think that Peter McNichol got the memo um, and Peter mm-hmm. McNichol delivers. And this is why I'm thinking that like, if you were able to get a Donald Sutherland, he's going to deliver. And then I think that yeah. that's going to make Kiefer act even better. And you don't usually have to utter those words. Act better, Kiefer. Which, by the way, have you seen <laughs> Kiefer's uh, recent uh, venture into entrepreneurship in the last week or two at all? Do you follow him? Cryptocurrency again? No, no, he's moved on from the crypto. He's into some bourbon. Um, so oh. follow him on Isn't social. Is that a Ryan Reynolds thing? Well, no, that, that's uh, that's gin, Colin. He's into the bourbon. <laughs> he's into the more sophisticated stuff. But he's he's basically like the the ads on his social media, and he just he's just sitting there at a table. Old Kiefer dressed up in a suit. He gets here and he pours a glass and has a sip, and he just gets here and he's like, Ugh. yes, in eighteen blah 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 blah, two men did this blah blah blah. <laughs> his name was Jason Nainsmith, and they blah blah blah. It was a sport called basketball, and he has a sip and he's like. <laughs> You know, keep a subtle and bourbon, so Canadian. And then it's just like, <laughs> so like, okay, like this is just like a 30 second ad going, fuck you world, Canada invented basketball and now the best bourbon in the world. Nah, keep it. I just want Jack Bauer, uh, keep Sutherland to sit there with his bourbon, pour it, look at the camera and just be like, damn it, drink my bourbon. <laughs> keep a subtle and bourbon. <laughs> like, I'd buy we, it. We, uh. We also haven't talked about the fact that uh, uh, with the, the show he had, uh, Rabbit Hole, they, they decided to cancel it, which kind of sucks because it was a good show. 
Uh, but it's not coming back, which is unfortunate. I feel bad for Kiefer because, like, I know it's a tangent, but we're going to skim through this uh, Bauer stuff really quickly. But, like, ever since 24, what has he had? Touch. I think that lasted yeah. for two, which I've never, I need to watch it. Like, I don't want to watch because it, it looked terrible, mm. but I do want to track it down, right? So, like, he's like, okay, damn, touch failed. So, what are we going to go next? Designated Survivor. So, got a bit of a hit. That what went for three seasons before it got cancelled, but then Netflix picked it up. He could say the F-bomb, but then it got, like, cancelled after, like, one season. So, I was like, okay. But he got a lot of three, four seasons running out of Designated Survivor. Got a bit of a fan base. So then he got onto that tubey thing, like, like, oh, this is the way of the mm-hmm. future. Like, it's 10-minute uh, episodes. Yeah. He did the future, which was a bit of fun. It was kind of like Jack Bauer mixed with James Bond mixed with, like, uh, Mel Gibson from Lethal Weapon. Like, it kind of had elements. He was a bit unhinged. It was great. Lasted for one season. So then he gets rabbit hole, and he's promoting the shit out of this. Like, I'm Keeper Sutherland. Watch this. What's that? Cancelled. Like, to me, this is like Hollywood just literally going, like, uh, let's give him a season. <laughs> Oh, cancel it, lol. He will do 24 eventually. Oh. Like, I reckon John Kazar, yeah. Howard Gordon have got all this power in Hollywood. They're going like, cancel his show. Why? But it's doing really good and we're making money. Nope, he's doing 24 again. <laughs> we're going to cancel all of his shows. So eventually he will have no choice but to do a 24 reboot. This is my feeling that's happening right now in Hollywood. Yeah, and I think what also makes it a little bit frustrating is that we talked about back in season one. He was the original guy who said, I'm a movie actor, but I'm willing to do TV. Mm. And nowadays, everybody will do TV. The Rock's doing TV, you know? Like, every, uh, what, Jennifer Aniston, Nicole Kidman, biggest movie stars are like, I don't care. I'll do TV shows while I'm doing movies. But nobody had really done it before Kiefer Sutherland. He still was kind of at the height of his, maybe not the height of his movie career, but like, he was in demand. And now he, he's the only guy who can't get a show to stay on the air. It does kind of suck for him. Um, the, the, there's one conversation here with as as... I guess unnecessary as it is for Wayne to make this big display and kind of shame Lennox, their debate that they have about the constitution is actually really good writing yeah, yeah. Uh, because you see it from both sides. I mean, you, you have uh, Lennox basically saying, uh, okay, you're, you're saying we can't change the constitution. It's like, but it's like the constitution doesn't necessarily apply. And we see that nowadays where people are like, well, this part of the constitution clearly didn't apply, you know, to, or it doesn't, doesn't, play into modern day it's very different time now there's people who will accept that but yet they won't accept if somebody says well the constitution changed for this and then you got the flip side where you have wayne saying just because muslims are behind all this doesn't mean that we should hide behind the whole muslim fear to change the constitution because that's the easier way to change the constitution they both make good arguments i think that um that feature that i watched on the uh the, the box set where it was the writer's room where for the most part they seem to be taking cheap shots at this season but also to seem to be an agreement. It's like, we thought we were going to be making this season very one-sided. And then a lot of voices came out and, and then we somehow ended up with a show that kind of realistically presents both sides of political arguments. And that's where I think that the Palmer drama actually still works here. And Adani touched on that. He sort of touched on a little mm-hmm. bit around the, uh, the, the controversy and the torturing and all that kind of stuff that we've talked about in other seasons as well. But, you yeah, know, I think that it, like as much as I scoffed at the people who were involved in this episode at the beginning of this episode, I mean, I think that's very smart writing because... One thing we know about Americans, they're very protective of their constitution, and and that's always something that gets um you know brought up, and a lot of people sort of get uh, deep feelings about that. I I actually the one line that the bit that I like is I can't remember if it's sort of in this section or if it's when um Lennox is presenting him with the document which enables a cabinet meeting to be held, is when um is it Wayne says to Lennox like oh you know you and I have worked very close together. You, you were the one who knocked up my door and, you know, told me to run for president. Yeah. Like I kind of like that. But at the same time, 
I feel it doesn't get as explored as much. Like I'd like to see, like we always get these cheaper staff positions in this show, um, you know, that kind of have their, their elements to them. And we're going to get that expanded in an interesting season, interesting way next year with Olivia. Um, but yeah, um, next, uh, it, next, it, next week's going to make me scoff even more. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm saying though. But like a Peter McNichol is doing things and bringing depth to a character that I don't think they intended to do. Like, cause you do walk away from this episode, especially the way that he plays it next week. Yeah. Kind of feeling for him. Like you, 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 you see this guy's been embarrassed. He's kind of been hung out to dry and he does have a relationship with Wayne that even though if the writers aren't exploring it, I think Peter McNichol is still playing that in his performance. All right. Speaking of playing in performances, let's get into days of our bowers. <laughs> um, so Let's start off with the fact that Jack and Daddy-O are getting kidnapped and they're in their uh, evil van in the back and we got old Philip Bauer going like, oh, I'm so sorry, everything I've done for you uh, when you left. Like, I kind of always knew Graham might be evil and I've done this all for you. And it's like, this is where, like, again, on a rewatch, it makes no sense because, like, again, like, why isn't Jack being like, um, bitch, please, I've been in China for the last 18 months. You claim you tried to get me out. Uh, what did you do? Uh, before that, I was faking my death for a previous, like, 18 months and doing Connie Britton. Did you ever try and find me? No. Uh, you know, when I've been up for treason, for breaking prisoners out of Mexico, did you do anything about that? No. Like, it's just kind of like, I want Jack to pull out a list here and be like, uh, no. Um, where's Kim? Like, I mean, freaking, uh, what's his face last season? Looked in on Kim. Uh, yeah. Did granddad look in on Kim? Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's one of those things like you're saying about how Regina King just comes in here. It's like we've had no like e- even mention of her or even like hint that there's another sister. And that's where this becomes a problem with the Bowers, because sure, he's been estranged from at least his brother. But like in this episode, you get the impression that that him and his dad are not necessarily on bad terms. Mm. So why is Christopher Henderson being surrogate father to Kim when it should have been Philip Bauer. And they've got money. Like, I mean, look at freaking Graham's house. And like, you know, the officers, like, I want Jack to be like, did you see the house I was laying in going, how do I live over Terry at the beginning of season two? Like I could have used some, like, you know, uh, some money. Like again, Jack's a humble man. He's not going to accept it. He's there to serve his country. But like, yeah, I just, it's just so many of these things just fall flat. Somehow Graham's gotten back. Like, I love how basically we find out in this episode that this construction site, the office, and Graham's house are, like, around the corner from each other. They're pretty close. Yeah. Um, because Graham's already home, uh, you know, like three minutes into this episode, essentially. Um, and he's all like, oh, yeah, just get it done. Again, just, I get it. It's a trope of movies and TV shows. We can't just kill them there and then on the spot. We're going to drive them to a darkened area. It's the... The Austin Powers argument is like, Dad, I've got a gun right now. We can shoot him. <laughs> Scott, you just don't get it, do you? I'm going to put him in a room, close the doors, and assume all went well. What's the problem with that? Um, so, like, right now it's that. They drive to this, like, construction site with a grave already dug because, <sighs> you know, what are we going to do And today? it's not hand dug either. It's like they clearly had a digger out there. With concrete. A ready. digger. A digger. <laughs> Because Jack's like me. He's a digger. Um, like, with a concrete truck ready to pour over the bodies. So like, they've literally woken up. Ugh, Jenkins, happy happy Tuesday. You know what? Let's dig a grave. We might kill some people today. Yeah, good idea, Frank. Let's do it. Um, and I do love a good, like, I, I love these henchmen. Like, these two actors have probably gone, oh, I've got my big break. I'm in 24. And they're just, like, casually walking along, like, going, like, with the gun. And then old Philip here is like, no. 
be a man and look at me. And they kind of have this bit of Jack and Graham look at each other and then judo chop. (laughs) And then like two kicks and these guys are down because reasons. And then I love Philip just killing this guy. It's like, and then, like, Jack points a gun at him. He's like, damn it, Dad. Like, what are you doing? I needed to question him. And then I'll brush your hair. Graham here is like, oh, <laughs> he, you know, he knew too much or something like that. Which, again, in the grand scheme of things, makes sense. Um, Jack calls up CTU. Oh, no, my brother's evil. We better send tack teams. And the other... Ta- again, poor old CTU agents are dead in their car outside Graham's house. And all Jack says is, like, the squad is dead. And Bill's like, oh, well, we'll send some more. Like, what about the family of, like, Agent Phillips and Agent Smith? They're just dead yeah. in a car. Like, you know, poor them. I, like, maybe, oh. maybe make Morris place that phone call before you give him his leave. Exactly. Morris, uh, so sorry it didn't work out with the picture, but we really need somebody to call Jenkins' family and say he's dead. I want, like, at the end of this season, I want, like, Jenny Jenkins to be sitting around <laughs> the table. Oh, Bill's late. Oh, where is he? <laughs> Hello, CTU. It's my husband. He should have finished three hours ago. Oh, oh. shit. I knew we forgot to do something. Where's the owlies? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> owlies. Call <laughs> dead CTU agent's family. Um, probably a thing. Um, it, it was Sherry's job, but she was holding a grudge because <laughs> Jenkins had sexually harassed her a year ago. True, true. So anyway, uh, again, this is just the, the Graham Bauer house is so close to everything because the tag team's there within another five. So then we've got just, oh, drama between Graham and Marilyn. And oh, here comes Josh delivering some pearls again. Rest oh. in peace. Why are you always fighting? You're always fighting. Oh, shut <laughs> up. Uh, <laughs> To which it really is bad. I told you. I told you. And oh, Rick, I remembered him being bad, but like I just feel bad now because like, there's no way to sugarcoat it. This is bad. I hope Ricky Schroeder doesn't die in the next couple of weeks because then we're screwed <laughs> when it comes to talking about their episodes in a few weeks. Jack comes storming in and they've got guns. Point. I mean, like, in all fairness, this standoff, kind of tense. I kind of like Paul McCrane's look in his face. He's like looking around like, like what can I do here? What can I do here? Throws the gun down, but from this point on, oh, my God, it's just basically like he gets shoved in a room. Old, like, Josh, what are you doing to my dad? Shut up. Pistol whip him or something, Jack. Like, seriously. And he's got this overacting, and again, I feel so bad. He's just died, but, like, he literally sits down on the couch, and he kind of puts his hand, no, like the way he kind of, like, puts his head in his hands. Oh, this kid. Uh, And then just this look between Jack and Marilyn, and he's like, stares at it and then I hate this moment when he gets into the room and he's like before we start this has got nothing to do with you and I you introduced the tiniest plot thread two weeks ago that these two were a thing we didn't know this woman existed until two weeks ago and now we're meant to care that they fucked a couple of times like back in like what when he was doing Nina like he was doing all the women between Terry and the thing like I'm sorry like it's just it's just cheap it's just terrible and this actress who plays Marilyn is not good. I'm sorry. But again, maybe it's the material. I'm sure she's good in hindsight mm. because even then. The- I, I looked it up and she basically started on soap operas. And since well, 24, she's gone back. She's gone back to soap operas. So when you get an actor who reaches the peak of 24 and then goes back to soaps, it's probably because that's like the limit. That's, they've reached the glass ceiling. And I'm not and I'm not trying to demean like soap operas have their place. Like I, I can enjoy a cheesy soap opera from time to time. Like, I mean, if I was an actor, I would be honored to be a soap opera actor. I think that would be the <laughs> funnest type of acting you've got because you kind of 
ham it up. You play up to your audiences, right? Rainer Sofa is a name. And I, I apologize, Rainer, if you're listening. Don't if you're listening, you know Rainer. I'm not bagging her out in terms of just her ability. She, she's got what she's given and she's coming from the background. But I just think that this is just so bad, this stuff. Because even when Jack's like, I'm sorry, Marilyn, but your brother's evil. Even Kiefer in these moments is being a bit soap opera and it just doesn't suit Kiefer's style. To which then Marilyn's like, no, it's fine. I've always known. I've kind of always had a feeling. And it's just like, I want Jack to turn around to the, ca- turn to the camera and be like, what are you saying, Marilyn? Are you saying that you know and you've stayed with him? Did you help this? No, Jack. No. What are you talking about? Let me grab my son. Like, it's just so over the top. Even the way they look at each other when they go back to see. Why do they need to go back to CTU? I don't know. Um, and then for the rest of this episode, Jack's bringing in Burke to, <laughs> to interrogate Paul McCrane. Good old Burke's back. There he is. Um, and then, like, he's got some, what is it, sodium pentothal or whatever, and, like, this is mm. going to hurt you more than you ever known, and, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts, oh, stop the pain, stop the pain. That's some good hammy acting. You know? and, like, again, I, I agree, but, like, then it just leads to, like, the, like, seriously, I love you, 24, I love you, John, I love you, Howard, really, really do, but make your mind up who killed Palmer. Like, seriously, last season it was Guy in the beginning of the episode. Then it was freaking um, the, the, the first White House guy. Then it was Logan. Now it's Graham. This won't be the last person who, quote, pulled the trigger. Um, and, like, again. It was Josh, really. <laughs> probably. Shadowy organization. <laughs> organization. I get it. You've got multi layers of it, but it just gets so convoluted. And I just, this is cheap. This is just like. I was the one who who killed Palmer. I gave the order to kill Michelle and Tony. Not dead. I I did <laughs> this. I did that. To which Jack's like, damn it, damn it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And the CTU's like, no, no, we needed him alive. <laughs> like, it's just so bad. I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, and then Jack basically gives up and is like, no, you're right, Burke, keep going. He goes and has a bit of a word with his dad. He buggers off to go follow a lead. And, of course, they just happen to leave random guy in the house. Like, any government agency, oh, it's all right. He's his dad. He couldn't possibly be evil. No father of any suspect has ever been evil before. So, which then Philip walks into the room alone. Nobody's watching him on camera or anything because CTU are that good. And he's all like, Graham, to which we get, plot twist. Graham, how am I doing? I'm holding out. I'm showing I'm the tough one here. Uh, good old brother dearest is torturing me, but I'm a tough motherfucker because I was in ER for eight seasons. <laughs> um, I dealt with George Clooney's simmering looks and I can deal with anything. I'm Paul <laughs> McCrane. <laughs> which seriously, like Paul McCrane is a badass, but uh, to which then old Graham's all like, no, you told them about Palmer. You've crossed the line, son. To which he decides to, uh-oh, plot twist. I'm going to kill my own son, which I'm sorry. I love you, James Cromwell, but, like, if I'm putting a hand over someone's mouth and I'm James Cromwell, I'm not killing him in 30 seconds. He's not even covering his nose. If I'm going to look at this right now, he's not. He's got, like, two nostrils full. Paul McCrane, you're still alive. Uh, he plot, was stuffed up that day. He knew that. Plot plot twist, season 10, he's going to be Paul McCrane survived. Somehow, <laughs> Graham Bauer returned. <laughs> and then... Uh, the one thing I kind of, I like, but I don't, because I think like James Cromwell delivers it in this kind of, oh, I'm bored way. But I kind of love his, help, my son's had a seizure. If he is dead, I am holding you responsible. Like, 
if this was any other show, like Nip Tuck is a show which goes very soap opery, and I can see why some people have complained about that over the years because it goes there. But like, I buy into Nip Tuck soap operiness because it's kind of been the show. It's kind of been the DNA of Nip Tuck is that it is kind of deep down a soap opera if you really follow it closely. 24, not so much. But like, I mean, they, they, in fairness, it did start that way. And they just realized by the end of the first season, this soap opera isn't working. Yeah, so they just true. changed and like, positions. But this is the thing I think with it, that if like, if they had just chosen a lane, if they had have gone like, ah, oh, fuck it, we're a soap opera from now on for the remainder of this show, totally would have bought it. And they kind of like do away with that after this season on some level. That's Jack Bauer. Like, <laughs> don't get me started. And then we get uh, Legacy. But um, I uh, just... Uh, I'm stopping there. This this is I, terrible. <laughs> well, like there is potential here. Again, it's like sometimes the audience doesn't need to know everything right away. The same way that yeah. I think it would have been great to not have to not know whether Morris just intentionally didn't you know decode his own picture and maybe he's in on this. Uh, if we don't see Philip actually injecting uh, Graham or whatever here, if we don't even see him be left in the room alone with him, we just have it be like Graham all of a sudden is seizuring and he's dying and then philip's like i'm gonna hold you responsible that actually makes it even stronger for the fact that jack had that moment where he's like no keep going against burke's recommendations which yeah. by the way i love that that, that season six uh wrap-up thing miniseries they did where burke and jack are literally getting fist fights i love that none of that animosity is here despite the fact that in 12 hours from now they're gonna be talking about things that happened years ago that they they hate each other over apparently uh but uh yeah if, if you just left this so that you know, Philip is not revealed in any way to even be in the room with him. Do this like a whole Nina and Jamie thing. Mm. Where in a couple episodes, you're mm-hmm. like, wait a second, Philip was in the room. You know, it, it, have it be a camera or anything like that. Uh, but that's what kind of ruins this because you don't understand why Philip would go this far yet. You don't know him as a character. And you certainly don't know him because they've been putting on this ridiculous ruse for not even a full episode. Oh, I'm not with you, Graham. I'm trying to help you, Jack. Which, where is Philip's rationalization? His motivation doesn't make sense. When Jack finds him in the last episode, we basically, if you're looking back on this now, after you know the twist, he just stumbled. He just happened to be there. Jack stormed in. He found Graham. Philip happened to be there. Now it's like, oh, what are we going to do? We got to put on a show as if I'm not part of this. But then we see in this episode, there's all this preparation behind this. Because again, henchman ready. Graves dug. Graham willing to basically go to bat to save his father. They've had no time to coordinate these plans or discuss, hey, if anything comes up, Graham, you take the fall and I don't. And then Graham going along with Jack makes even less sense. And what makes even less sense than that is why is Graham in the room? Every other time in 24, when something like this happens, okay, send them back to CTU. We're going to debrief them. But he's there and he's in the room. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The things that do work about this though is that moment, the one moment of sympathy, because we see Jack have moments of sympathy with his dad. But with Graham, it's been like, he's going against him the entire time, the last couple of episodes. He's willing to torture him, put a bag over his head right away. Like there is no love loss between these guys. And then to have that one moment where Graham's breaking down and like great acting from Paul McCrane and Kiefer gets this look of like heartbreak on his face where he's like, what have I done? You know, Uh, Kiefer's, expression alone makes up for the rest of the scene, almost makes up for the rest of the scene. Uh, and then the fact that after he says, keep going, it, it, it really kind of makes you sad watching it. So I almost forgive it for that. But yeah, the, we either shouldn't have known that Phillips was doing, Philip was doing this to Graham 
or we should have had a little bit more of a build, or you should have had at least make sense why Philip was here in the first place, what his plan with Grim. There's just so many little plot holes that are probably easily explained. There's no deleted scenes on this, so I'm not willing to bet that like, oh, well, unfortunately, we just ran over on time. Um, yeah, it, it's it's just it's all over the place. It's kind of mess. I am sad though because this was one of those moments that. It, having not rewatched this season, I did look back on and like, that was at least a great moment. And unfortunately it's like, no, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's a fraction as good as I thought it was. I mean, I'm not, I didn't mark this down as a top five at the end. I mean, if you want to bring it up at the end of the season, knock yourself out. We, again, we might not I mean, have how any. much more are we going to get? I mean, we've only had three so far this season, haven't we? And I, I, again, off the top of my head, there's maybe two that I can think of. So that's fine. Uh, but um, yeah, but uh Ah, uh, uh, there's nothing really in the book about this week. The trivia, um, apparently when McCarthy phones Fayed, you can uh, see a blurred image of Morris in the background. I love this one. When Bill redials Karen's phone after she hangs up on him, he only dials seven numbers being on the opposite side of the country. Bill would have to dial 11 numbers. Okay. Um, and it aired in the UK on February the 11th. Cool. Uh, and w- one thing we have to correct ourselves on here, this being Powers Booth's first episode, uh, we did call him... Noah Gardner earlier. That would be Noah last Daniels. season's VP. Noah Daniels. We're mixing up oh, our VPs Gardner. still. Yeah. Noah. Let's just call him Noah. <laughs> uh, I am clearly binning this one. I'm guessing you are oh, too. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Easily. And Not as bad as last week, though. I enjoyed ooh, a little bit more this week than last week. I mean, this is where I'm going to adamantly disagree with you because I think I spoiled it last week by saying that this officially, right now, after 127 episodes of 24 is numero 127. This, to me, is worse than the Cougar episode in season two. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in four seasons, we have a new worst episode of all time. And further spoiler alert, this won't be the last time I say that this season. And you've muted yourself, Boomer. I I just can't bring myself to say (laughs) what I'm about to say. Um, I've got a little bit higher. I've got this inside my 120. Uh, This is number 119 right now because I do like... Some of the 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 Palmer and Lennox stuff, I think that there is potential here that was just poorly executed with the Morris thing and with the the Graham and Philip and Jack thing. Um, but yeah, it's not a great episode. It, it is definitely better than last week, in my opinion, though. Well, the good news is, uh, after two hundred and sixteen episodes, this will crack the top two hundred. It will finish in one hundred and ninety six. Uh, so good news there, ladies and gentlemen. But there will be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine more season six episodes below this. So um, nine more episodes are going to be worse than this, in my opinion. So there you go. And after that, it'll only be season seven and legacy episodes that will be worse than this moving forward. So uh, there you go. But next week, uh, I will say slight improvement. Next week is not an episode that will end up on the worst of all time section. Still going to be a bin, spoiler alert. But I think the majority of next week is going to be the fact that we don't really have Bauer drama next week. Um, But we do have a terrible opening of a terrible White House storyline. Great Fayed stuff, though, um, but it's not enough to save what I still think is a pretty bad episode next week. Um, Yeah, I, I I agree. It is an improvement over this one. Um, this is still going to be a bin. We're spoiling it right away. Uh, but uh, I, I'm finding, maybe it is just trying to look on the bright side, but I'm finding in these episodes a little bit more each week. I'm like, I see some positive things that I do like in here. Maybe that's just not wanting to, you know, criticize all the bad stuff, but uh, uh, I'm not that optimistic that it'll continue that much further after this. Uh, Cause I know that in the weeks following that, we're going to get more of Marilyn and Josh, but uh, 
for now, there's going to be at least marginal positive things to say in the next episode. And we're only about, I think, three, four weeks away from Ricky Schroeder. So, uh... <laughs> I don't remember having bad memories of watching Ricky Schroeder on I here. So I'm really, going to be curious. really hope that you have those memories reemerge. Um, <laughs> but uh, no disrespect to Ricky Schroeder. Sure is a nice guy. Didn't he get cancelled recently, though? I feel he got cancelled recently. Uh, don't tell me this Where is a Larry get? the Cable guy, but I'm pretty sure he got <laughs> cancelled. Um, sorry if he didn't, Ricky Schroeder. Um, <laughs> tune in. If you, again, if you haven't listened to our uh, Adoni Maropas interview, uh, that is available right now. It's a fantastic... Um, it is. He did get cancelled, sorry. Uh, he uh, uploaded a video to social media. Uh, well, there was a video of him harassing a Costco employee regarding their COVID uh, Oh, policy. I remember that, yeah. Um, he received a backlash for it. He then released a video basically uh, saying that he stood by his beliefs about the mask. So he was kind of anti-mask. He was the Evangeline Lilly of the 24 universe, essentially. Yeah. So um, uh, also he was arrested twice for suspicion of domestic violence in 2019. So, uh, But found not guilty. Just, just, I'm reading his Wikipedia page. So I'm trying to see if he was cancelled or not. Uh, sort of. <laughs> anyway, we love you, Ricky Schroeder. Just not your character. And if you did bad things, don't do it. Um Adoni Maropas has never done any bad things. He's a legend. Listen to his interview. It was available now. Uh, this week we start our horror Christmas month. Uh, it's November 30 on Thursday. It's technically a day before December, but hey, whatever. Uh, we, we start off with Jack Frost 1997, not the Michael Keaton one. I know we've already done that. It's a fun ride. Listen to that. I'm sure Amazing Race will happen whenever Rocky wants to do it. And uh, we're very close to doing our best ofs next month. And I guess next month, as we keep alluding to, we're only really going to have... Uh, Aquaman 2 and Ferrari potentially they may come out in the new year because we'll sort of take a bit of a break over that period so if they sort of come early in the new year we'll uh, we'll get to those but uh, excited for all of those and tune in next week for more 24 my name is Ben I think I literally tagged two quotes in this one I've already used one uh, and how am I doing and my name is Colin and I would never betray you I love you thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher Google Podcasts or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider and while you're there please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback you can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social social media pages on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff yes sir do you like having access to your favorite podcast hosts in a way like never before yeah absolutely do you wish you had access to our old survivor oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online oh yeah if you answered yes to one two or all of those questions then get excited because the oz network is now on patreon That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. 
For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. <laughs>